Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Don Schwartz is an actor and journalist. His book, Telling Their Own Stories, Conversations with Documentary Filmmakers, is available from Amazon. His film reviews and filmmaker profiles appear regularly on FromTheHeartProductions.com. He holds BA, MA, PhD degrees in psychology and counseling. And Carol Dean and Don Schwartz love documentaries. And they created this show to encourage people to watch more docs. And of course, we know that as long as docs are being made, we can have a good deal of uh, education and plenty of information to help us along the way. Wouldn't you agree, Carol? Absolutely. We want to support documentary filmmakers because we believe they're our greatest asset. They find in film stories that are unique and make a contribution to society. So, Don, let's get started with your review of The Pearl Button. Yes, thank you, Carol. Uh, The Pearl Button is our first film today. It is the most beautiful documentary film I've ever seen. And when I say beautiful, I mean both visually and in terms of the world that it draws us into, the the world that it represents. The film is written, directed, and narrated by Patricio Guzman, and uh, he is a highly accomplished, uh, prolific filmmaker. Uh, It takes place in the region of South America that's known as Chile, or Chile, depending, and the film is part ecstatic, uh, poetic, uh, cinematic essay, and it's also part tragedy, and that ability to encompass both of those, to me, is just magical, is totally inspiring. The the beauty is the world. It's a world of, of images of that region, the, the images of nature, and the the uh, the the histories and the ideas and the mysticism that he presents, especially through his narration, which is written very carefully and narrated in a voice which is totally entrancing. And the tragedy that uh, Guzman covers is violence, and it's the violence that destroyed uh, Chile's indigenous populations and cultures beginning in the 16th to 17th centuries. But he also covers the violence of Augusto Pinochet's Chile in the 20th century. And the the magic of this film is is that he creates a, a world that encompasses both, as I said. Uh, water is the connecting image uh, for Guzman's film. And he also includes some indigenous peoples uh, who are the few that are left uh, speaking about 
themselves and, and their world. And those people and this region obviously are symbolic of the destruction of indigenous peoples and cultures around the world, the the global phenomenon. And by the film's end, uh, I found myself in a deep contemplative meditative space, and uh, I was totally speechless. I just had to sit and be quiet. Uh, The film is distributed by Kino Lorber, that's K-I-N-O-L-O-R-B-E-R. And the reason I spell that out is I couldn't find a website for the film, so you can go to Kino Lorber and uh, learn how to find the film. This is one of the rare documentary films that's also released on Blu-ray. And this is going to be the first documentary film on Blu-ray that I've ever purchased. Most of my films, if not all the documentary films, are sent to me uh, gratis but uh, I need and want to spend the money to see this film on Blu-ray. And uh, that's uh, what I have to say about uh, Uh, the Pearl Button. It's beautiful, Don. You're absolutely right. It's one of the most beautiful films I've seen. And I have to tell you that um, it's the Chilenos, the Chile uh, countryside, the beauty in that country. Um, I was traveling through South America, and when I got to Chile, I'd been going first class, and I said, this is it. I just want to be like everybody else. So I, I got on a bus out of uh, Santiago to go up to a mountain resort to go skiing. And they had chickens running around the bus and the kids and the, were crying and the babies. And the, it was so much fun because the people were really friendly. And so I then hired a cab to drop me off up at the ski resort. And, uh, the, and so I walked in the front door to get someone to help me with my luggage and realized, where's the manager? And I found out that it was closed. So they said, "Oh, that's okay. You can stay. We'll um, we're still running the the lifts for a few people." So I said, "But I don't have skis. I don't have any any gear, any clothes to wear." They said, "Oh, don't worry. We'll find you." And so the cook gave me her jacket. Somebody gave me their pants, their gloves. They outfitted me, and I and I spent a whole week there with them, and it was delightful. It's the people in that country. So Guzman really got into the heart of the people, the country, uh, and the energy uh, in that film. So I think that's a beautiful film, and I highly recommend it. Now let's uh, hear your review of Slingshot, Don. Okay, Carol, thanks. Uh, This is a, a profile of inventor and entrepreneur Dean Kamen, I understand he's very well known, but this film for me was my introduction to him. And uh, he uh, he obviously is very successful. His he hangs out with the likes of Elon Musk and uh, Jeff uh, Bezos or Bezos. Uh, and his company's called Deca, and that's the the way that he's been developing all of his inventions. The film is written, produced, and directed by. Paul Lazarus, and Paul Lazarus is a Hollywood guy. He's He's been involved with making feature films uh, for what seems like his whole career, and he uh, took on this documentary job and did it very well. You you learn about Dean Kamen as a man with a brilliant mind, uh, a noble heart, because he makes all kinds of medical devices that, that 
<clears throat> that help people in, in countless ways. And uh, he also is a man who's garnered uh, a lot of money, great wealth from uh, from his efforts. And I have to confess to uh, being green with envy. I'm a I'm a pilot, and Dean Gaiman has has himself a his own helicopter in his garage. And then when he can take the helicopter to the airport, he can then go on his own jet and fly his own jet to wherever he wants to go. So I was salivating during that part of the film. <laughs> uh, I know. It was great. Yeah. So so Slingshot, uh, the title of the film refers to a, a, a device that he made to address uh, the lack of uh, clear, clean drinking water for people, especially in impo- impoverished nations which nowadays also includes the United States. Uh, the, the slingshot is a distiller, and it's a, and, but it was, it's designed to be portable. And the film covers the, the development of, of the device and, and the, the struggles they had to, to, uh, to lower the weight because it's got to be portable to make it smaller, to make it less costly, and to increase its efficiency, and they end up with what seems to be a very usable device. And uh, the film ends on, on, a, on a hopeful note that uh, Coca-Cola will distribute the, the slingshot. Uh, the, the, uh, the one challenge that Dean Kamen and company could not address themselves was distribution of, of their slingshot. But as of this point in time, uh, it's not clear to me, at least, whether or not Coca-Cola is going to be doing that. And if, if not, I'm not sure how it will be distributed. Uh, Carol, something about this film it was a tipping point for me. Yeah. And it brought up uh, the whole issue of environmental films. And I've been seeing environmental films uh, documentaries. Since 1963, when I started watching Wild Kingdom, and uh, Marlon Perkins would uh, yes. talk about the animals, and then he would make references to uh, encroachment by humans uh, for losing their habitat, and then it goes on from there. So I've seen thousands, ultimately, on uh, documentary films on TV and uh, at the theaters and on disc. And they each film addresses a particular problem. It could be the air, the water, nuclear radiation, uh, food, uh, beach, beaches is a huge issue, countless issues. And uh, and one of the issues that that is never covered is human overpopulation. And the reason I mention that is that if we can if we can clean the water but we keep on getting more and more people, more and more need, uh, how is that going to – the greater the human population, the, the more destruction that can be wrought by, by human beings. So uh, – Wow, uh, you're bringing up an interesting concept. Yes, of course. When, particularly because he told us that 50% of the people in the hospitals are there from unclean water. Right, and what can happen with with the slingshot, which is bittersweet, it can save millions of lives. And I'm using slingshot just as not itself, but as a symbol of any particular environmental victory we may have. Uh, Any victory may make for many more people, 
but then what will many more people do to the overall environment? And so my dream is for a talented filmmaker to get a well-funded project of covering human overpopulation. And, and w- w- without that, what we have is nature. And then uh, what nature does is provides war, strife, poverty, crime, disease, famine, uh, uh, malnutrition. And that's how nature deals with too many people. And we can find much more humane and, and noble ways to, to reduce our population. Well, thank you, Don. That's a very interesting concept. I have to say that with the idea of Coke distributing for him, I would think that Coke might become a bottler more than a machine sales organization. And if they were able to bottle that water, that would solve one of the problems that Dean found when he installed this in one of the poorest countries in the world, that people who came to get the water that was sterilized and was distilled and perfectly clean. They put it in contaminated containers, or they took it home and put it in contaminated containers. So they don't understand the whole concept. So he found that his his machine that was uh, so well designed could solve a problem, but that the problem was bigger than he realized. So if Coke bottled that or even sold it uh, at like a dispenser where you could fill your own bottles, it would be a beginning solution for many countries. So I'm sure that's wonderful to look at. What I liked was his, uh, his interest in understanding the rules of the universe and how he used his imagination to solve problems and create his own life because... He told us that as a child, he visualized that he'd get up in the morning and open a giant glass wall and move his helicopter out of the house and fly to work. And he did exactly that in the film. It was extraordinary. He goes to this giant glass window with a remote controller, opens the window, and then tells the helicopter to to move out, and it does, and he takes off. So um, this is an incredible man. He he looks at problems differently than most people, and the greatest challenge to him is when people say, oh, you're nuts, nobody can do that. That's when he goes to work. So I think that uh, I enjoyed the idea of his building an organization whose purpose it is to change the culture of the United States. It is called FIRST. It's an organization whose sole goal is to convince a generation of children that science, technology, and engineering are fun, they're exciting, and they are important. They already feel that way about sports. Most kids can tell you who's the best basketball player in the world, and they are living for the next game. So Dean says, let's package science and engineering in a sporting competition. So uh, he has kids work with world-class scientists and engineers to build robots that compete with thousands of other robots. And so he's figured out how to get to the heart of children. And so he tells them to figure out what you love, then get so good at it that you can make a living doing what you love. And I believe that's excellent advice. He is uh, a hero and should be really revered for the work he's done in the health 
field with all of his innovative health machines, now with the water machine, and also with FIRST. So uh, I thought it was an excellent film. I think it's really worth watching because it's inspiring to look at uh, I, uh, at impossible situations is a challenge. That's what he does. So uh, now let's go to something that's really sinister called Silenced. Don, give me your review on that. Silenced. If you want to get furious and infuriated, just go ahead and put this movie on, which I hope you do because uh, it, it, it's jaw-dropping. Silenced is written, directed, and edited by James Spion, or Spion, uh, so I apologize, his, his last name is spelled S-P-I-O-N-E, and uh, the website is silencedfilm.com, S-I-L-E-N-C-E-D-F-I-L-M, silencedfilm.com. Uh, James, I'm going to refer to him by his first name, uh, he, in, he uh, covers the investigation and, and prosecution of three federal government employees, uh, workers, who blew the whistle on governmental malfeasance in uh, the United States. This is after 9-11. The the film describes uh, what sounds like a massive culture change in our government right after 9-11. And these government employees were treated as traitors, as treasonous. Their acts were considered treasonous. But uh, as far as I could tell, they were patriots, and uh, two of the three were uh, uh, were accused of treason, and one of them, uh, not the, uh, and and one was uh, investigated to the point of, well, they were prosecuted. So all three had to deal with accusations, but one was prosecuted and ended up in jail. The three names. Uh, are these people, I, I really need to mention them, are Jesslyn Raddick, John Kiriaku, and Thomas Drake. And their stories are heartbreaking, and at the same time, they, uh, two, at least two of the three have written books, so you can look them up and find out about their books. Uh, they revealed uh, treason at the highest levels of government, uh, torture, domestic spying, tampering with evidence, and the squelching of uh, public, what should be public information. And one of the whistleblowers uncovered overlooked information warning of 9-11. And that, that information is not clear. Was it human error or was it an act of omission? But that information never made it, went, never made it to the 9-11 investigators. Uh, so it, it's a heartbreaking film to see people who, who should be uh, thanked and, and given awards uh, to be treated as criminals. And uh, I highly recommend that you put this film on and see what is done with our tax dollars and in our name. Amen. I totally agree. What's so interesting, Don, is that, first of all, uh, they they take an oath to serve and protect protect their country. That's number one, right? And then they take an oath of secrecy. And then the two become, uh, it becomes hard to live with the two because you can't serve and protect your country if you're walking around with knowledge that should be shared. And, and there's got to be 
thousands of people who work for the government who are going through this dilemma right now. This is the tip of the iceberg. It's only these few people who say, wait a minute, I I can't handle it anymore. I think silenced makes you think twice about telling the truth. They have to tell so many lies and cover up so much because of the secrecy that uh, act that they've signed um, that it makes life very difficult for them. So if you want to work for the government under special securities and you tell the truth, your life will change forever. That's what this film shows you. It shows you the powers that go that get to be so great because they make every effort to fully destroy you if you talk about something when you have signed the Secrecy Act. Uh, So the message in the film Silenced, which uh, follows three national security whistleblowers, um, tells us that uh, their lives have been destructed and what telling the truth has done to them. Uh, I liked Jessalyn Raddock. She's a really intelligent woman, a young woman, who feels that she uh, <laughs> she thought she was getting into this world or into law to help support people. But um, she says that there is information that, that the public in a functioning democracy has a right to know. And I could not live with myself knowing that another human being could be put to death because I kept my mouth shut. And she also said I was trying to be honest and obey the law, and yet I'm the one who ends up having to hire a team of lawyers. No, she is a lawyer. And Thomas Drake, who's another man in the film, said, quote, they set the target. They put the bullseye on me and said, we're going to make an example of this man. Now, what happens is Drake says you have to mortgage your home and you have to empty your bank account, and that's only the beginning. Uh, And Kirakow says, I have to try to protect my children from being exposed to it because I've got the FBI surveilling me on and off for the last seven months. Uh, He can't find a job. They're all being persecuted. Uh, This is truly a courageous film. Please don't miss it because all of these people, including James... Spioni have made many sacrifices for all of us. This film will shock and surprise you to know what's really going on in the government. So just because uh, of the true energies and efforts of these documentary filmmakers, uh, you should take the time to sit down and enjoy the 90-minute film and get into the realization of what is truly going on inside our government. I think we owe it to James to do that. Now, let's talk about Mavis, Don. Oh, this is a totally joyful film about a totally joyful woman who I wish was my mother or my sister or my wife, who knows. Uh, Mavis Staples, a legendary singer, and she came out of the world of churches and gospel singing and uh, she, with her family, became uh, very, very uh, famous, uh, very successful, uh, uh, doing uh, religious-related uh, songs. And then in the 19, uh, 1960s or 70s, uh, they, uh, Mavis uh, went out on her own, and she, uh, she became a pop star. Uh, 
And uh, Mavis was born in 1939, and as far as I know, she is still on tour. She released, recently released a new album. And uh, th- this film is produced with that same high, loving spirit that, that, uh, that Mavis Staples just brings with her wherever she goes. And there are several people that just praise her as, as much as she can be praised. It's, she just deserves it. Levon Helm, Bonnie Rayet, Bob Dylan, and even Prince are involved with uh, 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 testifying how, uh, how, how much they have been inspired by Mavis Staples. And this is just a joyful film. I don't, Carol, I don't have a lot to say about it. I would say you want to have a good time, you want to feel good and be inspired, see Mavis. It is an HBO documentary, so you might be able to find it now, but it'll be available forever uh, after that. Oh, I want to give credit. Uh, the, the, the film was written, produced, and directed by Jessica Edwards. And thank you, Jessica Edwards, for this great film. Absolutely, totally agree. She did a wonderful job, and so did Amy Foote. She was superb with the editing. Can you imagine? They must have had thousands of hours of material, but they did such a great job editing this that it moves really fast, and the story is there. And I have to say, the film is full of good music, love, support of your fellow man, and I call it a feel-good film. Even if you don't know Mavis, you will soon feel like she is an old friend. And her interview in the film makes you feel immediately like you you like her as if she's an old friend. I think she's truly a a lovely human being and definitely a true artist. She that's all she has is her art. She has no children, no family, uh, no husband rather, and it's her family and her art. And one of my favorite parts of the film was when um, her father, who's really the head of the family, uh, the Staples family, um, he took all the children to see Martin Luther King. And uh, and he he loved what Martin Luther King said because this was way before he became famous. And so he uh, took the kids home, set them all down and said, okay, um, we're going to write music. Uh, We, he, he can preach and we're going to sing it because we need a uh, music to support this movement. So he wrote theme songs for the movement like Why I Treated So Bad and What You Gonna Do, Gonna Do, Gonna Do. And uh, it worked. No other groups were doing this and Pop Staples became deeply involved and he said we have to use music as a foundation for our movement and it was the right thing to do. So he wrote the words of Dr. King and Mavis sang it. And now we have all of that music to bless each one of us to keep remembering all of King's messages. I really love that part. And um, so when people ask Mavis, how long are you going to continue to sing? She says, I'll stop singing when I have nothing left to say. And you know that ain't going to happen. So I don't know, Don. He may, she may still be on the road. Well, as I and understand, I she, she is on the road right now, as I understand. So, <laughs> Well, it's it's a family film. Put the family down. Start Turn this thing on and start watching it. You're going to love the music. You're going to love the family and the connections that the family have for each other. Everything is so full of love. 
I highly recommend it. So now let's hear your review of Fear No Fruit. Oh, thanks, Carol. And uh, when it comes to having a regular diet of documentary films, it has to be a balanced diet. So you can see films about the horrors and tragedies and injustices of our world, but you've got to see the films about the things that are inspiring and beautiful and noble. And, uh, for instance, Mavis was one of them, one of those films. And this one is called Fear No Fruit, and it's written, produced, and directed by Mark Brian Smith, who is our interview for the, today. We're going to get right to him shortly. And Fear No Fruit is a, what I would call it, a celebration of one woman. Her name is Frida Kaplan. And in the 1950s, Frida broke, uh, broke gender barriers, and she changed America's culinary habits. She became, by utter accident, a wholesale distributor of fruits and vegetables. Just, just providence, just uh, happenstance that she ended up uh, playing this role, but that seems to be the role she was born to play because she is a hero. She, her specialty as a wholesaler was of specialty fruits and vegetables. And in 1963, she is the person that introduced kiwi fruit to America. And after that, she became known as the Kiwi Queen. And her company grew and grew. It, it became known as uh, Frida, Frida Incorporated. And uh, her, her two children, her two daughters, uh, have taken over the, 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 the uh, company. They have grown it larger and bigger. And Frida is, as I understand, uh, still quite active, but we're going to talk to Mark Brian Smith about that. And as of the film's production, that was in 2014. Frida Kaplan was still working for her daughter's company five days a week at the age of 91. And then grandchildren have also joined her company. Joined her company. And uh, the film was shot on a very small budget, a 10-day shoot, and it is thoroughly engaging. Frida Kaplan, you, you can just fall in love with her, and, and you will be eating better after, after you uh, watch this movie. Uh, her, her, her impact was on the, pretty much in the, the Southern California region in terms of distribution and sales, but she became known nationally, and, and she, be, she helped improve our nation's diet by, by her, her, her emphasis on fruits and vegetables. She has made a national impact. And, uh, and if, uh, I think uh, let's, let's go to Mark Brian Smith. And, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I tell you, Mark, I love this film. I, um, my daughter-in-law uh, is is an avid uh, cook and food enthusiast, and she knows all of that. Well, she knew ninety percent of the uh, veg or the fruits in there that I didn't. I didn't recognize half of them, but she knows all that. So I watched it, and then I had to watch it again because she got so involved, and we are sending it out to our friends to see. We love it so much. Thank you for making this great film. You're welcome, and, th- and thank you for your support. I mean, I was just listening to you guys talk. You have a wonderful, wonderful show. And, and supporting documentaries and how important they are for, you know, not for national and, and, and global audience for us to get, to get, to get these, these stories out, these wonderful stories. So, yes, thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Well, first of all, how did you choose this film? Well, I like to say, in a way, Frida chose me um, when people ask me that question because I was, 
you know, you're always in search and you're on the hunt for the next great story. And sometimes it's happenstance that kind of fall in your lap, you know, and you're like, I have to tell this story. This is just too good to be true. And then there's other, then other times, you know, when, when I, how, I didn't know who Frida Kaplan was and I'd never heard her story. And I had a friend, an old friend whose wife worked for the company and he had kind of whispered in my ear that they were looking for filmmakers to tell her story. So they contacted me and sent me a bunch of literature and, you know, with her Wikipedia page. And I kind of delved into a little research and had a meeting with Karen and Jackie and, um, and some people from the company. And I pitched them my kind of take on the film and how I would approach it and how I would want Frida to be the primary voice in the film. And I wouldn't, you know, I didn't want to narrate it. I knew that right going in. And they had the idea of, of, of producing a short film about her. And uh, you know, schedule-wise, I thought that worked for me, but I was not excited about doing a short. I really wanted to tell a feature story. So once I started filming and sculpting the, sculpting the outline, I knew I had a bigger story here. And then once when – so it was an easy kind of sell to them to take, to take her story to another level because if I found – if I was finding this stuff fascinating about the who knew kind of element, to, you know, to her story, which I thought was great, I thought, you know, the rest of the nation and some of, some of the world would too. That's kind of how it happened. Ooh. It was great, and uh, I really loved it when you took uh, took us in the grocery store because I love the food mm. section of the grocery store with all the colors, and they're always arranged so well. And you showed us all of these various items that Frida brought into the United States and that she handles. And then you gave us uh, how to pronounce it and uh, where it comes from and what it uh, does and what uh, what it has in it. So we got the description and how good it was for us and how to use it from your film. In, in what you so, so that was my job as a, as, a, as a storyteller to translate to the audience. Where Frida's job as a marketer and distributor was to basically get an audience, you know, buy get an audience the consumer to buy that product that you're talking about. These exotic fruits that were very strange and very odd looking at times and had very, you know, sometimes took a while to prepare and to peel and, and to delve into and then to taste. So, but I mean, she's true, a true pioneer in that way. And the vision that she had and, and what I talk about in the film is how she, how she never saw obstacles. She didn't understand the word. No, it just kind of never, never enters her mind. And when I met her, my first meeting with her about, you know, that was the true test. I remember when I, after I met with Karen, her daughter, the CEO and president, she's like, well, now you have to go meet Frida. I'll take you back to meet her because she'll, she'll know within two minutes whether you're the right man for the job. <laughs> and when I went back, she stood up and um, she's just, an, she's electric. She's like this, she just lit, lights up a room and that smile and that laugh. And then, you know, she, we just clicked immediately and she's become, she's become a dear friend of mine and the whole family has as well. Oh, how lucky you are, because they look like charming people. I think this is so important for everyone to see, because we have a woman pioneer in the 50s who gets a, a job, like Don said, almost accidental, and, and then she builds a just come to work for her, one in marketing and one in, in management, which is perfect, and they balance each other, and now the granddaughter's there. This is three generations of women in an import business that are bringing us new foods and a lot of great healthy items to eat. And it's a way shower for all of us. I think you're spot on right now where the 
we're talking about the difficulties that women in business have or how few successful women there are in the business because it is so tough. But this way, you you know, there is hope. I think a lot of women will really appreciate your film. Uh, so I would think that uh, women's organizations would be screening this all across the country. Yes, thank you. And, and one thing I found, you know, promoting a film and touring with a film and doing and talking to a lot of people about it is that, you know, it's one of those things where I, when I when I entered entered you know started making the film, I looked at my narrative and my kind of the theme of the film, and I wanted to tell kind of, I would call it the triangle of theme, whereas like each point had an element that I wanted to kind of all meld together. Whereas one was about you know Frida's history and her family's history. The second point would be, of course, their mission and how they want to change the way we eat, you know, globally, and the importance of bringing in these these, these fruits and vegetables. And then the third element was what you just said, you know, the generational uh, element, the family generation, and these in women taking in a man's world, you know, t- taking this on and seeing no obstacles. So in a way, I didn't enter this film trying to make a feminist film, but it just kind of naturally organically happened, which was really ni- a nice evolution and transformation when I saw that come to life, where when I sculpted out my shooting days and how I wanted to, how I wanted to tell the story and in- incorporate it with the archival footage, and when I asked if they had Super 8 footage of the girls, and I got three hours of amazing footage when they were kids, and Frida was a young-spirited woman back then when she was starting her business, I hit gold, and I was just like, I really knew I could take it to another level, and then what you're talking about, but I was when I, I was important to me, really, when I started making this movie was how does their business affect us today? Because there's so much turmoil going on in our world today. So what are the challenges of the, that their mission meets? And of course, that's when I enter, you know, talk about childhood abuse, but mainly about the drought because we were right in the middle of, of of the drought when I started making this movie in California, and, um, and the, the challenges that they have with their business and that we that we face as consumers as well. Right. Well, I thought uh, I, I would like you to give me more information on one thing that was brought up, and that was early on. I think Frida was working for the, uh, that other company that she got her first job with when she uh, Southern Pacific Railway offered her two doors. Uh, and I yeah. think was that the beginning of Frida's specialty? So what? Yeah, what happened was that she started working for her aunt and uncle who needed a bookkeeper. Um, you know, down down at the LA wholesale produce market, they, need, they just needed some help, and so w- they went on vacation. And Frida kind of took it upon herself to just kind of go out there and put herself out there. And mushrooms back then were a specialty item, and Thanksgiving was coming up, so she kind of took on this. And she, she had her, her little baby daughter Karen. First, first child, so she kind of she got some orders for some mushrooms for Thanksgiving and never had been part of this business in this world before and, and that's how it all started with her buying these mushrooms and then slowly working with her aunt and uncle and, and building this reputation on, on the market and then these, 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 these people offered her these, you know, this open office this, these two doors and then when she, when she took on the challenge the L.A. Times, a woman from the L.A. Times was walking down and saw her working in the market and did this piece on her in 1961, and that really catapulted her. And so then she became the woman, the person on the market, and the only woman on the market. If there's anything crazy or anything that I can, uh, that someone was looking for from parts of the world, come to Frida, because Frida was the one that would go out and find it. She would find a way to get it. And, of course, the, the, the groundbreaking you know, fruit was 
the kiwi fruit when she when she discovered you know when she went to New Zealand and changed the name from Chinese gooseberry to the kiwi named after the, after their bird and brought it to America and that really really started and then you know she she brought in the mangoes and sugar snap peas and habanero peppers and spaghetti squash and things that were are commonplace on our on our plates now that weren't back then and she was one of the pioneers of California cuisine in the 1980s you know working with Julia Child you know as 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 the going out in parts of the world and bringing in these these fruits and vegetables well you know Julia was known as the chef she was known as the purveyor so yeah oh, and Julia would so, tell her that she needed something and then Frida would find it well, not necessarily, but you know, you know, Julia was a champion in, in French cuisine, of course, and, and helping introduce that to America. But with California cuisine, it, that's become now kind of a term and used, and it's kind of spread spread across the country. Um, she was the first Frida to bring in some of the, you know the kiwi fruit, and some of these exotic fruits and vegetables to kind of add to a plate where in California and Southern California, especially, people would take chances and take risks where. Other parts of the other parts of our country would look at it and wouldn't even want to look at it or touch it. So we were, I think we were more open to things like that back then, living here in Southern California. And Frida knew that and took advantage of that. Mark, uh, what is Frida up to these days? Frida is now well. This year she's turning ninety-three, uh, which is amazing. Uh, she's she's still. She's still living in the same house as she as she was in you know the 1950s. That's in the, that's featured in the film. Uh, her granddaughter now has moved out. She's in, her granddaughter Alex is engaged, and is uh, rising up in the in the company. And I I think someday will be president of the company. Frida now is spending a little less time in the office, I would say, but still a big voice. And uh, this film, I think, has really I, I I'm I'm very proud in the, in the, in the, in the in the, in the sense that I feel like I've introduced her to parts of the world and, I mean, that didn't know her name and didn't know her story, and I think it's one of those great American success stories that, that, she, that needs to be told. Um, so I think she's a, little, she's a little overwhelmed and flattered, as, is, as are the, you know, the family, that, you know, that it's, it's reaching the masses in the sense where I don't think they ever imagined it could. Because like I said before, it started as a short film, and I've kind of pushed it to be a feature, and it's gotten more more notice and recognition and more of a spotlight because of that. So she's very touched and very flattered by that, and she's so humble. I mean, she's one of those people that she doesn't really realize the true impact she's had, you know. And, and, and what's wonderful. Yeah, but, but you should be very proud of yourself for doing this because we all need to see what can be done with dedication uh, tenacity and uh, belief in yourself. Rita never s- thought she couldn't do it. That's why she did yeah. it. Yeah, and that's true. And 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 all the and all the critics are told her, you know, don't let your daughters take over your business. And she knew, she knew that that was not. You know, she had to do that because to, to take her business to the next level, her daughters were the perfect fit for that. And they were, you know, like she says in the film, they they're different different mindsets, they have different skill sets, and so they were, you know, they they're yin to each other's yang and. They've they've taken the, this business and her and and her legacy to a whole other level. Um, so yeah, it would be a that, shame if you had done a shot. We would have missed so much, and I seldom say that because I see thousands of films a year for our Roy Dean film grant, mm. and I have to tell you, there's a lot of them that would have made very good shorts. <laughs> but you're well, what was also yeah, what was also really refreshing about this film is that you know I. 
as you know, so many of these documentaries being produced today, and they're all amazing stories and wonderful films, yet they're very bleak and dark because we li- we're living in a very tumultuous time. So I think it's important for us to tell those inspiring stories as well, you know, to, to give us hope and to know that these, these still exist out there and that our, the next generations that follow Frida can do these kind of things. I mean, I, we got one letter from a man in Poland who saw the film, who's 60, who kind of was giving up on life and saw our film and wants to go get another job now and keep going. And I, when I, <laughs> those little stories, and you know, that you hear, you know, it's, it, it, you know, those one, those little, little anecdotes that, that Frida can inspire like that. And that we did, we all did our job, you know? So yes, it was a true joy making this film in that sense where, you know, I, when you love the subject matter you're telling and it's your, you know, I, I learned so much in, you know, making this film myself about the produce industry and how, how, the, how it operates. And I kind of wanted to show that if, in the film, you know, not just, I think the short film that you're talking about would have been just Frida's history. And that would have been it. I wouldn't have had time to go into these other subject matters and how it all, but I, I knew it all I had to always tie back to Frida and her company and her daughters. If I was going to go on, you know, some kind of road about childhood obesity and the drought um, and their mission, it had to come back to Frida. And I knew that. Yeah. No, you just Mark, gave us enough of that to understand that we're all facing a major problem here in California, and and this year's rain hasn't helped it as planned. They thought it would be, yeah. in my area, they thought we were going to have flooding, and, of course, we've had very little rain. So we know. know that that exists, but the story, you stayed on the story, and I'm so happy you did because it's about a family working together because the kids knew that that she was gone so much, but she was doing something, and it was okay. It's as if the family really pulled together and supported her. Did they? Oh, yeah. It's really true. I mean, it's funny. That's all the girls knew when they grew up, and they talk about in the film where, you know, mom mom left, and she worked really bizarre hours, and they didn't see her much. They saw her a little on the weekends, and that was it, and they were so for an hour or two every day before the kids went to, went to bed. But dad worked out of the house, and... He ran his business from you know from there, so they got to see him more than her. But in a way, it kind of molded the daughters into who they became. You know, with that with that that spirit of we can do anything, we can take on anything, and they followed in you know in their mother that way. So, Frida, you know, back in the fifties when when women were expected more more much more so than now than to stay home and to raise their children. And let you know, let let the male, let let the adult, the the father go out and take care of that kind of stuff. Frida didn't, she didn't buy into that. She, you know, she was just kind of like she saw an opportunity and she took it, and she she had the support from her family. And like I said, her daughters didn't know anything different, you know. So, but and that's the life they knew. Mark, I have you know? a couple, a couple of related questions. Sure. Uh, uh, what is happening with the film now in terms of you getting it out there? And also, uh, how can people find the film? Well, you could start by going to fearnofruit.com. Um, we're working with a company, it was Synetic Media and Film Buff, uh, John Sloss's company, who worked with my first film back in 2004. Um, we gave them a first look. So back in July, it's been, it was released on numerous platforms, and it's on Vimeo On Demand and Xbox, uh, iTunes, Google Play, um, you can well, you can rent it, you can get it on Netflix now. We're also finishing kind of doing the film festival circuit. So we we launched the film. We premiered the film last March in in San Luis Obispo at their festival. Kind of where the, our film ends. We thought it was a nice place to premiere the film. 
we had a big screening at Cal Poly, and it's so it's played the festival circuit. I just got back from the, the Sedona Film Festival about a m- three four weeks ago. It, it, it screened there. It screened in Newport. It screened in Carmel. Uh, we just got contacted by Maui. They might want to screen it in June. So it's still kind of doing the festival circuit loosely, but you can watch it on any any digital platform find it through fruitandfruit.com. So. Well, thank you. So it's out there. It's out there. Yeah. Good news. Yes, we really and, like and it. Yeah, yeah, and we're and we're showing some uh, some universities. I've done some speaking engagements at some universities as well. And how how do they respond? Wonderfully, you know. I mean, it's it's nice to see that, like you said, business classes, entrepreneurial classes, environmental classes, all kind of see a niche for this film. So if I can, you know, if if, if there can be shown in that in an educational form like that, um, I'm all for that, and I will take time out of my life and my schedule to go support that and speak in front of these classrooms. Definitely. Good, because that's what it, that's where it's needed. The young people need to see that there is hope. I've never seen it so bad where young people are so depressed about their futures. Uh, right. And this is a film that will uplift them. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, it's been a great show. Thank you so much, Mark, for your time and for your brilliant film. And I want you to give our regards to Frida and her family and tell her that we all feel like we know her and we thank her for what she's done to enhance our living and to improve our dinner plate. I will surely do that, and I appreciate the time you've taken with me as well. All right. Thank you, Don. Wonderful well, thank you, Carol. to hear your reviews. Mm-hmm. Yes. And thank you, Mark. Each of you. Thank, thank you, you so much for joining us, Mark and Claire. Great show. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Bye. Thank you. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice. Fair use successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N, dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.